The following program and views expressed are those of the hosts and guests and do not reflect the opinions of WPTF or Curtis Media Group. Welcome to Heart Health Radio with board-certified cardiologist and internal medicine specialist, Dr. Franklin Weefall. Heart Health Radio, Heart Health Radio, oh, 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 hearthealthradio.com, Heart Health Radio. Heart Health Radio is meant for information purposes only. Before taking any action, talk to your doctor. This is Heart Health Radio on the Heart Health Radio Network. Glad to have you listening to us. Here is the telephone number. If you call between noon and 2 on a Saturday, you can reach Dr. Weefall, 919-860-9783. You don't diagnose over the radio? Well, I'd love to be able to diagnose over the radio, but Uh there's two reasons why I don't. Why is that? It is not accurate to diagnose over the radio. You, You can't get what you need. Right. Which is the... Uh, body language, right? the facial expressions, and being able to react in the office based on what they're saying. The other sure. thing you don't have is other people in the room, family members. You wouldn't believe. You know, I got a guy saying, I'm fine, Dr. Weefald. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I feel great. And then the wife's over in the corner shaking her head. Then why can't you take out the trash without complaining of tightness in the chest and shortness of breath and feeling like you're going to die? Right. You don't get that, you know, remotely. You don't. You can't get that on the radio unless you're here in the background. Sure. He's lying. <laughs> and this, the second reason is illegal, and it should be illegal. Sure. Okay? Because, you know, you, you may think that, you know, a voice can, you know, from afar can give you all the information you need, but it can't. Right. And here's the problem that I see in modern medical practice. This is almost the same as being on the radio now. Because you go into a physician's office, uh-huh. they're not looking at you. They're not responding to your body language. You know what they're looking at? What? The computer. Yeah. And the reason is, especially in uh, hospital-owned practices, they require you to have your note completed before the patient leaves so right. that you can give them a summary of your note, okay? Um, and so they sit there and type while you're talking or, you know, and the question, are you having chest pain? No. And then you hear this clickety-clack, clickety-clack, clickety-clack. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Are you having shortness of breath? No. Clickety-clack, clickety-clack. Good. And when you're with me, it's, are you having tightness or maybe some heaviness, pressure in your chest? Um, Because most people, first of all, don't describe cardiac discomfort as pain. Right. Um, And so, you know, it's a sad, sad thing that because of the, you know, electronic medical record, we're not getting good care. We're just not. And, you know, I refuse uh, I got a pencil and I got a paper and I got uh, a chair with nothing between me and the patient. Right. And I'm talking and and chatting because you wouldn't believe how much you get in a chat. You know, T- tell me, what'd you do yesterday? Yeah. You know? Well, I was out in the garden, Dr. Weefold, and it was hot. It was really hot. Well, how'd you feel? I felt fine until... 
<laughs> I picked up the wheelbarrow, and then I got mid-sternal chest discomfort, rating to my left arm with diaphoresis and shortness of breath. And, never and if that. you had been on the radio or on the telephone or sitting there trying to get your note done instead of trying to get something out of that patient, yeah. it would have been, you're having chest pain? No. Oh, okay, great. And yeah. it's got to... It cannot really change, I guess. The reason why these notes are so important to the hospital. Yeah. You know why? No. It's how they get paid. And it's how we all get paid. Oh, okay. So, for example, um, if, you know, I have to send somebody for a heart catheterization and stent, I do that note right away. Yeah. And the reason is I want to get them scheduled right away. Um, What I do is on Sunday nights... Starting at around 7P and finishing around 3A, I do all the notes. Right. You know. And the other thing that I do differently is I don't I don't enter data myself. I'm not a data entry person. I'm just, I went to Princeton and Johns Hopkins not to enter data in a computer. <laughs> okay, I just didn't. Right, right. So I have a transcriptionist still. Yeah. And I dictate. And it's so great because Pam, she's been on the show before. She's been working with me for 30 years. This is what my dictation sound like. The patient has chest pain and shortness of breath. And she knows exactly what I'm saying. Yeah, good. And the other thing is I could say, hey, Pam, rearrange those paragraphs. Wait, wait a minute. The, the, the gag always was that doctors do not write clearly. Oh, we don't. That all their notes are scribbly. Are you telling me that you scribble with your voice? Oh, yeah. Mumble. And the great thing that I can tell Pam, Pam Van Hooky, I pronounced it correctly. It's spelled V-A-H-O-E-K-E. And I started calling her Van Hoek. Van Hoke. Why? Because Siri calls her Van Hoke. Oh, yeah, yeah. So if I say, Siri, call Pam Van Hooky, they'll go, I'm sorry, I don't see a Pam Van Hooky. I see a Pam Van Hoke. Anyway, so I mumble. The greatest thing yeah. that I can say is that I'll talk and I'll say, Pam, I'm tired. Make it make sense. And she does. (laughs) She knows exactly what to type in, and the notes are fantastic. But the notes and the paperwork are occupying more time, and the justification for treatment is payment. The payment thing. Yeah. They have to have, if if there's a a code called 99214, and that's a fourth-degree um, interaction it's supposed to take 15, 20 minutes. Okay. So what is happening now is that physicians are spending five minutes with the patient yeah. and 10 minutes with the chart entering data. Yeah. So I will spend 15 full minutes just sitting yeah. in the room Yeah. and I won't leave. And, and sometimes it's 20 minutes. Sometimes it's 40 minutes. If I have to go through their medications, which I do every visit and oh my gosh, I, took, I knew it. You're on the wrong one. We switched this last time. Yeah. And it happens all the time. But you can't do that now. What'll happen is you'll go to the doctor, some assistant who's really hardworking and a good person will put you in the room, take your vital signs, weigh you, ask to go over your medications, ask for your past history if anything has happened. Then that's all put on a on in the computer and the physician walks in and looks at the computer, doesn't look at you to see what the medical assistant put in. Yeah. Then the physician starts typing. You know, can you hear that? Yeah, yeah. I hear. And you have chest pain, you have shortness of breath. How far, uh, are you having pain in your legs instead of, how far in Walmart 
can you walk? How many aisles in Walmart can you walk before you start getting tightness or discomfort in your legs? That's a sign of PAD, peripheral arterial disease. But Mm -hmm. they'll say, your legs hurt. And I can't believe, I have so many patients now coming to me because they hear I actually talk to them. Mm -hmm. And um, you won't believe what I've picked up because they say the doctor doesn't listen to me. That's the other thing. If you start elaborating, they cut you off. Right. Right, because they don't want to hear it because then they got to put it in the net. You know? Oh, yeah. And it's just terrible. I, I feel really bad that because of what happened after Obamacare and the whole, the whole point was we're going to get money back from physicians because they're cheating. They're really not doing what they say they're doing. We're going to make them prove it. Yeah. And that's what these notes come by. Now, interestingly... You look at the ER notes. Have you ever been to an ER? Yeah. Have you ever asked for your note? No. Do it. Okay. Let me tell you, it's ridiculous. I have a patient, I had a patient just last week who um, had uh, an episode of chest discomfort, went to the emergency room, I want to see which one, and the nurse was in there for about 45 seconds. Yes. The doctor was there for exactly a minute, a Mm, minute, never touched her, never touched her. And so I was able to get the note off of the computer from the electronic medical record, Mm -hmm. scored the highest um, encounter level because it was chest discomfort. And that highest encounter level is almost a $1,500 reimbursement to the um, emergency room physician. Wow. Because of, you know, that supposedly a danger to the patient if they don't get it right. Well, sure. And the time spent. Yeah. There was a documentation. He looked at her toenails. There was a documentation in that note that he listened to her neck and chest and heart and that he felt, felt her belly, that he looked in her, in her eyes. Yeah. He hadn't touched her. Right. You know? And, and so the emergency room physicians, you know, a lot of them are owned by um, private equity funds. The, the physicians themselves? Yes. So they sell their practice to Black, Blackstone. I call them Blackheart. Yeah. Uh, for millions. And they yeah. pocket the millions. And then they're under tremendous pressure to reach financial goals that the Blackheart investment company says you have to meet in order for them to get their quote-unquote return on investment. So I I say next time that you're in the emergency room or anybody, ask for your note. (laughs) Ask for it. Yeah. Because it will shock you what they say they did versus what they did. Well, when I was in for surgery once, I started to notice a trend where every day somebody would, well, Every 20 minutes, it felt like some clinician would come in and just say, hey, and they'd be very earnest and talk to me and do whatever, and then they would leave. Sometimes as a social worker, another person was from OT. Another one was from PT. I swear I had a language, you know, a speech language pathologist come in. They all went out to the nurse's station, checked a couple of things, and got paid, essentially. Uh, And look at their notes. Their notes were complex. And did they ever touch you? No. I'm sure sure many of them, some some of them did, but I'm sure. Oh, and the other thing's the hospitalist, okay? 
Yes. The hospital's coming in, waving from the doorway. Yes. Going home today. But Doc, I'm still having chest pain. Going home today. <laughs> and their note on the computer will document that they listen to you, your lungs oh, and your heart and stuff. All right. Now, if you find this, you need to complain to the hospital. You probably won't get anything back from the hospital. Right. But I'm telling you, it's um, it's a sad thing. And it's all about money. Okay. It's all about getting paid. All right. Dr. Weefold is taking your phone calls. He promises to listen. 919-860-9783. Call between noon and 2 on a Saturday. Let's see. Snake bites. Uh, there, there, there's copperhead snake bites increasing in North Carolina. And rabies in Randolph County. They've suggested avoid wildlife. I'm staying inside. Well, keep your dog away from the foxes. Exactly right. Okay. Yeah. Um, we'll talk about that, and we'll talk about what you can do if you encounter something in the wild. Only half of eligible people got their booster shot. That's an amazing stat. That's coming up also. A woman spends 15 hours in an English emergency room. Unbelievable. And by the way, never saw a doctor. We'll explain why in just a little bit. This is Heart Health Radio and the Heart Health Radio Network. Heart Health and the Heart Health Radio Network. We're on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts. And why would somebody spend 15 hours in what they call A&E? A&E. Accident and emergency, I guess that's called. But uh, we used to call it the accident room at Johns Hopkins. Yeah, but... That's an old one, accident room. 15 hours. Well, and and I, again, we talk about this and talk about this, is the um, fee-for-service private medical Mm -hmm. care versus, Mm -hmm. you know, the National Health Service in England. And when you have a National Health Service and there's a government squeeze on funding, they get cut. And what's happened now in England, and believe me, in England, there's not the same problem we have here. They don't have a traveling nurse program. They don't pay nurses above and beyond in, in order to fill it. You know what happens if they don't have a nurse position? I don't know. The nurse doesn't show up and they're short-handed. Okay. And so the waiting room um, is, has become... Uh, a huge, huge uh, place for people trying to get into the A&E or the emergency rooms at yeah. um, in England. And people are waiting 15, 16 hours and not even having an interaction with a nurse. Now, you'll find that in the U.S., but it's generally not 15 hours. And they generally do triage uh, according to what's going on. Right. Chest pain usually gets in right away. Good. Um, you know, if you have... If you're bleeding, you get in right away. Good. Um, but the, the problem in the U.S., and I think the problem also in England, is that um, it's hard to get into primary care. And so what happens is you go to the emergency room. The other thing that's happening in the U.S., and also in England to some extent, is that all of these, um, I'm going to use the right term, undocumented migrants have no health care. And so they know that if you go to the emergency room, you're going to be treated because it's a law in the United States. Yes. That if someone shows up for emergency treatment, they have to be treated. And so, you know, these emergency room groups cannot send a bill to someone who has no address. Right. 
So we're running into problems here, and I think I'm, I'm hoping it's not going to be 15-hour waits. Right. And I, that woman probably would have waited two days to be seen. Wow. That's how bad it is in England now. Wow. So no matter what you say about our system, uh, and again, if you have uh, commercial health insurance, or if you're over the age 65, yes. you're going to get excellent, reasonably priced care. The problem in this country is those who don't have private insurance and who don't qualify for Medicaid. Right. Um, it's a tough time. Um, but there are a lot of primary cares now that accept um, self-pay patients. Yes. And so call around. If you don't have insurance, you can negotiate. And you can even negotiate with um, you know, highfalutin practices like those at, at um, private um, you know, expensive hospitals. You can negotiate. Can I have an office visit? I will pay up front $220. And they will say yes or no. Wow. Uh, but for the most part, I try to get somebody into a highfalutin, say, orthopedics practice. Yes. And they don't have insurance. Bless you. <laughs> they won't take them. They yeah. won't even see them, even if they promise to pay upfront cash. Right, right. So, it's okay. sad. Raleigh hospitals are now reporting there are more snake bites this summer. Well, you we're, the, just said we're the number one. North, North Carolina. Carolina. We are number one. We're number one. But that's something we don't want to be number in one. In snake bites. Copperheads especially. Yeah. Now, I've never and? seen a copperhead, have you? No. I, but apparently they're pretty common. Okay. And so um, they have a story that's a really good story. Um, and it had to do with a, a woman named Alice, a young woman named Allison McDaniel. Yeah. And she was just in her backyard and got bit by a copperhead. Her mother just freaked, of course. So, so is this something, you know, back in the day, we were told by cowboy movies that you cut yourself yeah. and then you draw the venom yeah. out. You... Um, I, I think that, sure, you can try that, but I'm not recommending it. <laughs> uh, what I recommend. What? More than anything else is put your person in a car yes. and drive to the ER. Yes. Carry your young child in there and say, my young child has been bitten by a copperhead. Right. And it, it, if you call 911 and wait, time is of the essence. And um, if you can get there quickly. Now, how many people are going to have the skills to make an incision that's the right size? Yeah, no. I kind of remember when, when I, I used to backpack. And we carried a snake bite kit. Yeah. And it had a, a reddish squeegee thing. And so you'd make the incision and stick this. You'd squeeze it so yeah. it creates a vacuum. You'd stick it on there. You know, and I tried this with, you know, I'd coat my uh, skin with, with stuff and try to squeeze it up, and I could never get it to work. Yeah. Get thee to an ER. Um, yeah. The ERs here, because North Carolina has so many snake bites, are equipped. And um, the uh, they'll know. And, they, you know, the poison control is a really good resource for emergency room physicians. Yeah. And they'll get on. And uh, the key thing is if there wasn't an injection of venom, obviously, then you don't need to have this uh, anti-venom, which is an antibody uh, that binds up all the toxin. And um, if your leg is swollen and painful and if you're feeling, you know, the effects of you know, your muscles are just aching and stuff. The, the anti-venom is life-saving. Guess how much? You have to give four vials. It's a little teeny-weeny vial. Yeah. And you draw it out. 
You put an IV in and you slowly infuse it. And when they did this to Allison, her symptoms were gone in less than an hour. I mean, that's how beautiful and and quick it is. Right. 100,000 smackarooskies. Really? $100,000. My insurance covers? Yeah. Oh, they pay. And North Carolina Blue Cross Blue Shield guarantees payment (laughs) for anti-venom. In fact, that's what what, uh, uh, Allison's mother said. Thank God we have insurance. This is why we have insurance. And it is. True. Okay. The other story about environment... Yeah. Rabies. Yeah, rabies is, is here. Is the treatment for rabies still? Yeah, those tough? a series of shots. Yeah, yeah. and it's terrible. Um, they used to have to give it intraperitoneal. I don't know if you knew that. You had to get them in your stomach. stomach. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's not that way anymore. Uh, I can't tell you, and I'm not going to lie. I don't know the true up to date treatment for rabies. I can look it up, but it's it's effective. Yeah. Um, it's the foxes, and we're seeing the foxes, especially in the western part of the state. If, if a fox approaches you, it's rabid. I mean, foxes just don't do that. Right. So if they're approaching you or and they don't play with your dog either, okay? Right. So if you see a fox in your yard that is, you know, uh, around your dog, it means it's rabid. And stay away. Call the animal control people right away. Because the more um, attention we give to these rabid foxes, the more likely it is we're going to get rid of them. Right. So. We'll pick up with Tom in Raleigh in Tom. just a moment. Can't wait now, to talk to you. Well, yeah, we're going to going to take a brief pause. Uh, there is no correlation between opioid prescriptions and drug-related deaths. It, not surprising to well, you. Well, we've talked it, about this and talked about this, and I'm going to tell you right now, I've yeah. saved some lives. Okay. All right. We'll talk about that and a lot more and your phone calls on Heart Health Radio. Welcome to Heart Health Radio with board-certified cardiologist and internal medicine specialist, Dr. Franklin Weefold. This is Heart Health Radio on the Heart Health Radio Network. Tom in Raleigh, you are on with Dr. Franklin Weefold. Welcome to the show. Hey, uh, good evening. I caught the tail end of the hospital bill, and I want to tell you my quick experience. Please um, do. I was hurting in my side, and I went to a UNC hospital. Yeah. And uh, they had done x-rays and all that, and I left. And I uh, wound up going to another hospital and got my gallbladder taken out. But um, the, I called the UNC hospital. I've got insurance, the state health plan, and yeah. I wanted to make payment arrangements like $50 a month. And they said, no, 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 you got to pay 150 I said, well, what if I don't pay it? They said, we're turning over to a collection agent. Yeah. So I, uh, at the hospital where I got my gallbladder out, they and, and I don't understand why they do this. They charge $50,000 knowing Blue Cross and Blue Shield ain't going to pay it. Right. And they actually worked with me. They said, you know what? Uh, you owe $2,500, and if you pay half the day, we will uh, 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 call it even. But UNC Hospital won't work with you at all. Zero. Yeah, yeah. I have had that experience as well. As a patient, um, I had a, a CT scan at a UNC hospital, and they did what's called balance billing. Hmm. So what does that mean? It means they charge thirty five hundred bucks, and my Blue Cross Blue Shield said, "Uh, uh-uh, we're going to pay you nine hundred. and they tried to collect the rest of it from me. Hmm. I mean, that's that's just you know not good. 
Um, so what is the final word? Did you have to cough it up, or did they finally make a deal for you? No, no, no. I mean, I don't want my credit to be ruined, so I went ahead and had, I had to pay it off at UNC Hospitals, yeah. obviously. You want some good news about that? Uh, they're going to um, the top credit agencies are thinking. Well, in fact, they're going to do it. They're going to get rid of medical debt off your um, your credit score. So right, but right, not but yet. So you still got to you still got to worry about it now. But well, pretty soon they're gonna they're gonna say, look, you know, yeah. the, the hospitals are unreasonable. Right. You know, I had a friend who yeah. worked worked for Duke collecting money, and what what I think. You need to do next time, and I think it was very reasonable for you to offer them uh, what you offered them. I, I, mm-hmm. I basically refused, and um, I said, "I'm not paying." I said, "You have a contract with Blue Cross Blue Shield to accept a certain amount of money," and they say, "No, no, no, we can balance bill." And I said, "Well, you know, I'm frequency we followed MD cardiology. I'll just let everybody know what you did to me." <laughs> and they did <laughs> not send me any more bills, but not, obviously, no, nobody else can do that. Yeah. But I think that uh, I feel for you. Um, that's what they'll try to do, though. You give us half now, and we'll leave you alone. Well, how about if you give you everything over the next year, year and a half? Nope. Nope. You know, and it, it drives me insane. Yeah. Yeah. Can I ask you one more quick Absolutely. question? You can ask me five um, more questions. No, I just got one question. I'm 50 years old. I've got high cholesterol, but I take Lipitor. Okay. That, I'm, in, I'm in relative good shape. I've never done any stress tests. I've never had any heart issues. Um, what is your recommendation as far as getting a stress test done at my age? Well, here's here's the thing. You're 50. Is that what you said? Yes, sir. Yeah, so you're young. I mean, 50 is a new 30. Um, the risk factors, I think, are uh, some of the things uh, that I uh, talk about in terms of who needs one and who doesn't. Obviously, the symptoms. So you're in good shape. You're not having chest discomfort when you exert yourself. You're not having shortness of breath. You're a male, okay, so that is a point. Males have a higher risk than females, um, although when females get coronary disease, it's much, much more dangerous for them. Mm-hmm. Um, family history. Anybody in your family have a stent or a heart attack or angina before they're 65 years old? My father actually, I think you actually put a stent in his heart uh, about 10 years ago. Okay. Um, and you have high cholesterol. What about diabetes? Do you have sugar? No, no, sir. Okay. No, sir. All right. You don't smoke? No. Good for you. Never smoked. I did, but I quit, uh, 20 years ago. Okay. That's then that, that's as good as gold. I mean, if you quit 20 years ago, smoking is not a risk factor for you. Um, and, and how, how's your sleep? Are you sleeping? Okay. I sleep about six to seven hours. And and you don't fall asleep in the afternoon. You're not tired all the time. No, sir. Okay. So your your risk really is two things. It's male gender and family history. Now, there is an alternative to a stress test that actually might even be more useful to you. And I don't know if you've heard of a CT scan called a coronary calcium scan. And the reason why that might be more useful to me is I'm pretty sure someone like you would have a negative stress test. Now, that's not going to tell us a lot in terms of your future. Um, it'll tell us about a five-year risk of you having a fatal heart attack, but I imagine it's not going to show that you have a significant blockage. What will tell you more than anything else is if you have calcium on the outside of your coronary arteries, because that means you've got cholesterol buildup. And the more calcium you have on your coronary arteries, the higher your risk is for having a heart attack in the future. So, 
I, you know, if you came to me or a patient came to me because I can't diagnose you over the phone uh, or the radio, if I had a patient just like you with those two risk factors and felt great, I would not order a stress test uh, because it's not going to give me the information that I need, which is what's your risk of having a heart attack in the future and what's your risk of needing a stent in the future. And so for someone like you, I'd order a coronary CT scan, calcium scan. And right. Uh, the, yeah, the only thing I had a kidney stone in 2015. But yeah, I hadn't that doesn't count. Stone. That doesn't count. Yeah. And right. so, you know, um, sounds like, you know, you're doing all the right things. Now, if somebody asked me, should I take an aspirin? I would say no, unless your coronary calcium score was really high, which makes you at risk for a heart attack in the future. Right. So talk to your uh, either your GP or if you have a cardiologist, ask them, hey, I can spend 99 bucks out of pocket and get a coronary CT scan. You know, you don't need a doctor's uh, uh, order to get one. And in fact, insurance doesn't pay for it, even okay. though it's a really good test for determining right. your risk. Right. But you can spend 99 bucks. Now, if you go to a place, they're all good. They may try <clears throat> to get you to do the big one. You know, the $5,000 one head to toe. But for me as a cardiologist, um, and you don't smoke, so I think, you know, getting a lung CT scan may not be uh, as important for you. But as a cardiologist, that's what I want to know, what your calcium score is, because that you would guide that me. that in your office, that scan? Or no. Um, what's the name of the, the company that we talked about before? Uh, they changed their name. They did. Yeah, we're going to look this up. And we uh, actually interviewed them last weekend. What were they doing at the pet center anyway? We had we had a we went to a pet conference. Is it pet, pet conference? Pet and they expo, were yeah. and they were talking about CT scans, and they weren't right. talking about CT scans on their pets. But um, no, uh, tell you what we'll do. We'll look this up. We'll give you a list of the people. I know that Raleigh Radiology will let you pay about ninety nine bucks and get one. Okay. And then there's this other company that's really great a great company. They do all sorts of uh, scans uh, for preve- health prevention. Craft. Craft. C-R-A-F-T. Craft. Body scan. Body scan. Yeah. And you have their number? I will in a second. By way of Google. Yeah, what's their number? Well, the computer is running uh, Windows 3.1. They so. may even have a commercial on our program later on. Yeah, they're they good. and again, yeah. I'm not being paid by them because the commercial money goes to um, yeah. uh, the radio station. Yeah. But the bottom well, line is, they're a good company. They will get you a good calcium score, and then that is interpretable based on your age. So right. you know, if you have a high calcium score and you're 85. That's okay. But if you have one when you're 50, that puts you at risk. Tom, I got your number for you. You got a pencil and paper? Yes, sir. Go ahead. 919-879-16. I'm sorry. It's not that last (laughs) little bit. Get your glasses on, bro. 6161. 6161. Okay. One last thing I wanted to tell you, Doctor, I've got a little chihuahua. And woof, back, woof. In 20, uh, back in 2015, she got pancreatitis. I took oh, Lord. The state. She became diabetic. She had cataract surgery. Um, Vetslin is the insulin they use on dogs. Yeah. And uh, it wasn't working. 
and the doctor at NC State put her on Trujillo Human Insulin. Yeah, Trujillo is a great drug. Has been perfect ever since. <laughs> Trujillo Human Insulin. She's yeah. the first dog. Yeah, these, that's State a new generation Lantus like long acting drug. Very right. good drug. And Basilar is also, they're also, uh, those two. Right. The problem is, what's the problem? How did you get that, by the way, without, how much did you spend on Trujillo? Um, actually, uh, I went and got a refill last week, and I got the uh, coupon card off of Trujillo, uh-huh. and it's, it was $35 for a pen. For it's only $106, but oh. they've got a coupon on their website, so I got three pens at $35 a but, piece. But they accepted a a prescription for a dog? No, 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 no. NC State wrote the prescription. Okay, but they wrote it for the dog? Yes, sir. And you went to a regular pharmacy? Walgreens. I didn't know that. Yes, th- there is plenty of prescriptions that NC State sends out to regular pharmacists for dogs. Well, that's amazing. So maybe what I should do yeah. is tell Walgreens that this is for a dog. <laughs> you know? Yeah, my dog's name is David Alexander. Yes, I, I need well, a and, you know, he, prescription. He smells like a dog, you know? <laughs> yeah. I appreciate you answering that. All right. Thank you. Trujillo is a great drug, but thank you. Thank you, Tom. What do you mean I smell like a dog? I yeah. don't smell like a dog. Yeah, I do. My dog wears cologne. <laughs> you didn't know that? I take my dogs to the groomer. Yes. And they come back with these little ties, <laughs> and they smell wonderful because they get doggy cologne. Yes. And it's like 200 bucks. For and, the whole spiel. And they really don't need that. What dogs No, need, they don't. What dogs need is doggy mouthwash. All now my dogs. dogs have wonderful breath. Really? Okay. Yeah, you know right. and you know what you know what you it keeps the teeth. breath of a dog good is their teeth. <laughs> and also whether you give them shoe bones. So okay. uh, out right. there if you're wondering, yeah. it yeah. doesn't count for humans. <laughs> well yeah, it does. Good teeth and shoe bones. Yeah. And then the right dog food. And don't feed your dogs human food. Okay. All right. Okay. I believe we're off topic, but I love No, it. we're not. No, we're not. No, okay. health is health. All right. And, and listen, much as we've talked about dogs, yeah. dogs are a part of this radio program. Okay. All right. Yeah. Sometime today, I want to talk to you about my new CPAP machine. Okay. I finally got my new CPAP. They were sitting on a... Uh, on a, 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 tr- a ship out of, out of San, China, San Francisco Harbor. Yeah. It's already arrived. They've set me up, and I don't like it. Oh, we'll talk no. About that. Well, Come I've on. got an alternative for you that All I'm right. going to – I like. I like. It's called Inspire. All right. We, we, we may have to move to that because Big Brother is watching you. I'll tell you that in just a bit. This is Heart Health Radio. You know you make me wanna This is Heart Health Radio and the Heart Health Radio Network. I got somebody. Who? Who? All right. So um, it's been a long time since I trained. Yes. Uh, in cardiology at Duke, and I had a fellow physician in mm-hmm. my area in Smithfield who needed to have another heart catheterization. He'd had his first one and bypass surgery, his only one. Yeah. Back when I was a fellow in the late 80s and early 90s at Duke. Okay. And his physician there was a guy named Victor Bihar. Okay. And Vic, uh, 
is still on the faculty. He's uh, what I don't know if this is true, but my friend said he was in his nineties. Oh my! And so he called Dr. Yeah. Bihar yeah. and said, you know, Weefald says I need to have this and this done, and and Bihar agreed, and we both he he we we agreed. He set it up, and and um, of course he remembered me. I think it's because I was so crazy, you know, how you not remember me. But I, the the thing that I loved, not the most, was that he listens to our show. Yeah. Dr. Bihar does. And so if you're listening, Vic, um, I just want to say this. Thank you. Okay. Because every day that I did heart catheterizations, I could remember one thing. I did 18,000, Vic. Yeah. Uh, probably not as many as well. Maybe, yeah. Let's do a nine, ten a day. But when we were training at yeah. Duke, which was great, we just did them. Yeah, you know, we got a little bit of training on how to do them, but training was go do it. And so I found out that I was pretty good at it. Mm. You know, I became really good at it. And so he would list who he wanted to do his patients. So they were. Victor Bihar's patients. Yes. And the fellow was, we fall, we fall, we fall, we oh, fall. Oh, wow. But while we were doing the case, the hardest one is the right coronary artery. You had to sort of twiddle it and turn it to yeah. slip it into the artery. And of course, you're looking at an x ray of x ray movie called a fluoroscopy device. And what you would always be worried about if you didn't get that right coronary after like three tries, the, um, uh, microphone that Vic used to communicate with us. He would be out in the waiting room. So it's sort of like here, you know, there's a window yeah. and he'd be looking at you and he would turn on the microphone and we had this lead that you had to put on and the lead was fastened uh, by a, a click. Yeah. Okay. So you would have a device to fasten it and it would go click. And when you weren't getting it and he was about to come in and take over, he would be clicking that thing. Click, 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 click. Oh, my. Yeah. And you were just waiting to get it done yeah. before the click. And it got to the point where he didn't click on me very much. Good. So, Vic, if you're listening, call us because, you know, you had an illustrious career. I'd love to tell people yeah. about you. He is a legend. Yeah. He is a giant among giants. And uh, call us, Vic. We'd love to hear from you. But I can tell you right now, I owe a lot. And I, listen, my patients who yes. benefited yes. from what I could do for them, it was standing on the shoulders of giants like Vic Bihar. All right. Susie in Clayton, thank you for calling. How you doing? Oh, I'm doing well. Um, I got a couple questions for Dr. Weefall. Sure. Again, that w- the medicine it is, Susie. Repatha. Repatha. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I take it. And um, lately, some of the pins that I've got seem to have been malfunctioning. Um, I talked to the pharmacist. Uh, are you familiar with the Express Script? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Okay, well, I talked to the pharmacist this week about it, uh-huh. and um, I go to click it, 
I don't know if you've ever had this problem with it. And I, I go to push it, yes. and it won't quit. No, Susie, Susie, I can, I can just, hang on, Susie. Sometimes it's taken three or four times. Susie, hold on just a moment. I've never had that problem with that drug. Dr. Weefall's having a hard hard time understanding. What she's doing is spinning it. Susie, I've had the same thing with my pens. You don't need to spin it. Yeah, let me, let me just tell you about Rapatha. All right, but she can't push it down. Yeah, so that's why. Um, okay, the way Rapatha works, and I'm, I'm sorry that nobody um, uh, explained it to you how to use it. It is a blue pen, yeah, and it has a little red thing on the end, Susie. And that red thing on the end is the protector. So you pull that out. And you don't have to spin it. Okay. Once you pull that red thing off the end, Susie, you'll have a yellow thing that, that comes out. And that yellow thing is like a cushion. So you take, once you pulled that red thing out, you just, you know, obviously on yeah. your bare, bare skin and your belly, is you push it in so it makes an indentation. And then all you do is hit that red button on the top, okay? So you've got a yellow thing where you're going to inject it, and then on the top of the pen is a red thing. Okay. You stick it in, click it, and then hold it till you hear it click again. Right. And that gives you the medicine. Susie's indicating sometimes it doesn't work. Susie, are, are we correct? That is correct. Yeah. So and if that happens, you should get a free pen back if the pen's not working. Where do you live, Susie? I live in Clayton. Oh, well, great. Here's what I'm going to offer to you, okay? Free visit to come to my office. Mm. You bring a pen with you when you're ready to inject it. You walk in the door, tell him Dr. Weefald on the radio said he was going to show me exactly the best way to use this, and I'll do it in 10 seconds in my office for you for free, okay? So tell you what we're going to do. Um, when you hang up, uh, we're going to uh, – don't no, when you come off here, don't hang up. I'm going to give you my phone number and the address for my practice, and then you just come on in. From 9 o'clock in the morning till 5 o'clock in the afternoon, just walk in because it doesn't take me uh, a little bit to show you. I've taken this medicine, Susie. It's fantastic. Yeah. And my cholesterol was really high. <clears throat> I went on a statin. It didn't bring it down enough. I went on this stuff, and I got my LDO from 178 to right. 11. And my blockage is almost gone. So come on in. All right, All right. let's do that. All right, Susie, talk to the young fellow who picks up the phone and give him your your information or um, take some information from Yeah, let me do that. Get your phone number, and then we'll call you with my address and, and my phone number. All right, Vernon in Selma. How you doing, Vernon? I'm doing fine, fellas. Yeah, what's going? What's up? Uh, I got uh, a question. I've just uh, This is a curiosity-type question. Sure, I speak went, right up. Uh, you're... Yep. Can you hear me okay? I can, yes. Oh, yeah, I can hear you. Okay. I went to uh, my urologist. This has been several years ago, but uh-huh. I was always, always wondered about this. Yeah. But I went to my urologist, and he uh, recommended or gave me a prescription for Flomax. Okay, yeah. I, I took that. Okay. <laughs> well, anyway, what happened was uh, it lowered my blood pressure. Oh, yeah. 
So what I did is I, I took one of my blood pressure pills and I quit taking it. Okay. So I talked talking to my regular medical doctor about it, and he said, no, you don't need to quit taking your blood pressure medicine. You need to go back to your urologist and get him to switch you to a different medication. Uh, he said, there's things in your blood pressure medicine that you need to have. Right. Uh, to protect you. Yeah. Yeah. So does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Now, the Tamsulosin is the generic name for Flomax. And what it is, is a very good medicine. Um, the uh, w- the way it works is it's an alpha blocker. Now, what does that mean? It means that it blocks the effects of a med- of a stress hormone called noradrenaline, which constricts your arteries, but also constricts the uh, sphincter in your uh, penis prostate uh, gizmo. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, did were you taking the Flomax at bedtime? Uh, yeah. Okay. So you're doing everything right. Um, the reason why you take it at bedtime is that if there's going to be a low blood pressure effect, mm-hmm. um, you would have it while you're sleeping, and that would be okay. Uh, I, the precursor to Tamsulosin was even more powerful in terms of lowering your blood pressure. And I can remember an old-fashioned doc said, oh, you're having trouble with your prostate. All right, take this pill, but make sure you're standing by your bed when you take it because you're going to collapse into it. Wow. <laughs> but um, there are other uh, agents. Rapaflow is another one, and it works in the similar way. But the problem is if Tamsulosin affected your blood pressure, then it's, it's probably any of them are like that are going to. Um, and your doctor's right. If he's got you on a specific blood pressure medication for your blood pressure, it's probably because it has other effects that help your, uh, like if you're diabetic, an ACE inhibitor. Yeah. Yeah. So there is, believe it or not, the the one that I use now Mm. um, is Tadalafil, and that is a Viagra-like compound. Um, it's called uh, Tadalafil. It used to be called Cialis, and before mm-hmm. it became generic, mm-hmm. it's still Cialis. And you take it every day, and it generally does not lower your blood pressure unless you take it with Tamsulosin. Then your blood pressure is going to fall tremendously. And if you take it with a um, nitrate, so isosorbide or something like that, you shouldn't do. But talk to your doctor about the other uh, alternatives because I think. Your GP is right uh, in terms of wanting you to be on the blood pressure med you're on for added benefits. Um, and I tell you, my Tadalafil works great. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are extra added benefits to Tadalafil, which we will not discuss on this regular uh, we, show. It's just because we're running yeah, out. Yeah. We would, but there's yeah, no time. Yeah. Really because, no uh, well, I mean, you know, I can tell you the stories about how it's beneficial. <laughs> We're not talking about okay. this. Okay. All, All right. right. This is Heart Health Radio, the Heart Health Radio Network. Welcome to Heart Health Radio with board-certified cardiologist and internal medicine specialist, Dr. Franklin Weefall. Heart Health Radio. Heart Health Radio, oh, 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 HeartHealthRadio.com, HeartHealth Radio. Heart Health Radio is meant for information purposes only. Before taking any action, talk to your doctor. And this is Heart Health Radio with Dr. Franklin Weefold, 
Bill in Raleigh has been hanging on for a little bit. How you doing, Bill? Yeah, uh, Dave, uh, I'd like to shout out yeah, someone, uh, Dr. Franklin Weefall, for yes. uh, introducing me to the book Undo It. Um, I went to the library and checked it out. Yes. I'm just getting started. It uh, looks like it's going to be a, a fantastic uh, effort on my part to yeah. um, follow through with uh, my desire to uh, uh, avoid as much medicine based upon that book, China RX, that I I mentioned on the previous show. Yeah, dude, um, hold on days, just a moment. You, you suggested, Dr. Weefall, a book called is it undo it yes undo it by dean ornish yeah absolutely dean or yeah and so that book is pretty amazing because like i said it's the first program that actually reversed heart disease now are you going to be able to follow that stuff you think well like i said i just got the book from the library yeah. and I'm, I'm just uh you know thumbing through it and i i, I don't have my own personal chef to do the things because <laughs> I, I I I bought Tom Brady's book um, and his is pretty much the same. As yeah, far it's as very similar. Diet, it's diet very similar and, and yeah. exercise. Yeah, and and I will say this: um, one of the things is not only well the diet obviously is is big, but according to Dr. Ornish, being in the support group that is specifically designed by him. Mm. He thinks is an important leg of the uh, program. So, what I would do if you decide to do this, and I think that you're right. I think Tom Brady's diet is extremely similar. Yeah, and I don't know if if Ornish has ever um, uh, commented on it, but um, go ahead and look and see if there are any Dean Ornish support groups. I I, maybe you don't like that term support group. It's a Dean Ornish cheerleader squad. Wilmington, North Carolina is the closest one to us. Where's that? Wilmington. Wilmington. Yeah, it makes sense. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I like Wilmington. I um, got another question for you. Sure. Um, Ten days ago, I had an echo done, and uh, I got the report, and I wanted to pass, uh, run these uh, things by you and see what you think. And, sure. Um, you know, uh, I don't expect, you know, any... Um, any uh sympathy but uh here here's a summary i have concentric hypertropia i have uh left atrium severely dilated uh, right atrium moderate to severely dilated uh, mild mitral regurgitation uh-huh. mild uh, tric- tricuspid regurgitation borderline pulmonary hypertension and uh, the inferior vena cava is dilated Wow. Um, my my uh, left ventricle is severely abnormal for a male, severe range greater than uh, 149. Mine's at 153.8 grams per two millis, mil, um, micro, whatever. Um, um, you know, October will be six years that I had a, 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 a artificial valve uh, a cow valve replacement, and uh, where at which which vessel? Which I mean, which which valve? The left one, the uh, mitral valve. The mitral valve, yeah. Yes, sir. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, those, you know, and, and that's the reason why, you know, I'm trying to uh, yeah. do the best I can, you know. Um, sure. What would, uh, did, what was the ejection fraction? Do you, do you have that there? Um, tell me what to look forward to. It would be a look. percentage. It would be a percent. Ejection fraction percent, like 55% or something uh, like that. Uh, let's see here. Findings. It would be left under left, yeah, left ventricular function, and it will say ejection fraction percent, whatever percent. Oh, okay, here it is. Uh, the injection fraction is estimated to be 55%. Okay, that's left. normal, yeah. That's normal. So you don't have it so bad. I mean, uh, the atria being markedly enlarged was probably, and again, I'm not your cardiologist, and I, I, I haven't privy, uh, privilege to see your old records, but a lot of time before the valve is replaced, yes, sir. and you have a lot of leakage of that valve, which means that the blood is flowing backwards, the I left did. atrium can be very enlarged. But the fact that your ejection fraction is 55% is yep. a really good sign, and that any, means that your heart function, the pumping action is normal. So I wouldn't... recommendation? Yeah. My recommendation... I'm sorry, what did you say? Yeah, yeah. Um, if, um, you know, do you have any recommendations? Well, yeah, I, it sounds like, how far can you walk before you get short of breath? Well, um, on pre, you know, I'm a regular listener to your program. I love yeah. the program. I really look forward to it every Saturday. But I, uh, I, I swim about half a mile, and I, I uh, cycle about, 40, uh, 40, 40 to 50 minutes. That's great. Uh, but I, I'm finding that I need more time to recover. Uh-huh. So I, I, it's like every other day or every uh-huh. every two days, I'll, uh, you know. Yeah, you don't need to do it every day. Um, uh, how often do you see your cardiologist? Well, the you know, like I said, 10 days ago approximately, I saw him, and mm-hmm. uh, he recommended that I don't see him for another year. Great. And you don't have atrial fibrillation, do you? No, they put me on a monitor, and yeah. uh, it didn't show up, yeah. although, you know, they think that maybe it's just hidden. Yeah. Well, one of the things about a left atrial enlargement is that makes you at higher risk for atrial fibrillation. If you're doing, like, for example, in the future, if you're doing well like you are now, and all of a sudden, it's pretty dramatic, you can't do as much, yeah. go get checked for AFib, because that makes it so the top part doesn't work the atria don't doesn't work the with the bottom part the ventricle as well yeah. I, I I'm pretty impressed with you uh, quite frankly um, and you know that 55 percent is the, the very good sign and if uh, the other good sign is if your cardiologist thought you don't need to be seen for a year yeah. that's a very good sign so well, I want to thank you and Dave and, and yeah. uh, oh, I want to thank good. you I thank my listeners I mean you know I love what I do this is my a hobby. Uh, I'd love to make it my profession doing this <laughs> because it'd be a lot of fun. Um, but just keep listening. Tell your friends. Um, we're here uh, not to promote my practice. We're here to promote health and well-being and happiness. You know. So well, bless you. Uh, you too. Bless, you know, God bless you and you too. Uh, keep up the good work. Thank All you right. so much. You too. God bless. Thank you, Bill. That was Appreciate nice. The phone that was call. nice. Yeah. Lynn in Clayton, welcome to the show. How are you today? I am very well, thank you. How are you? Good, speak right up and tell us what's going on. 
Okay, I have a question for Dr. Weefald regarding the recent case of polio in New York. Yeah. And then they found some in the wastewater there. I can remember as a child getting the three doses with the sugar cube of the oral polio vaccine. Yeah. My husband, who is 70 years old, has never received that. Yeah. Would it be advised, being that it may become active again, to get the uh, injectable polio vaccine? Yeah, I would would talk to his, uh, talk to the physician, but... If uh, that person were my patient, I would definitely recommend it. Um, there, the the reason is the there are so many people now who haven't gotten the vaccine uh, that it is uh, starting up uh, again, especially in New York, and it's totally preventable. I mean, completely and totally preventable. Um, I will give you a some background. When it first came out, it was a live vaccine. Yeah. And it was attenuated, and there was uh, what that means is that they treated it uh, to make it not cause polio, but to just be a, a virus that um, would generate an immune response. And the reason why they made it a live vaccine, do you know why? Because hmm. they wanted to infect the people who weren't going to get the vaccine through, you know, normal transmission. So it was like, it it was a population uh, vaccination, okay? But now they don't have the same vaccines. Uh, But I would definitely tell that individual to get vaccinated because uh, anybody can get polio, and it's just not a good thing. The vaccine, do they usually, is that pretty easy? I know pediatric offices give it. But would you go to your PCP, the state health center, well, um, like to Walgreens? Or? Nobody carries it anymore. Okay. So I will have to find out where you can get it. It may be that you have to arrange to get it at like a health department. Yes. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah. So I'll tell you what I'm going to do. Um, that is a question I have not thought about. I'm going to look it up, and then I'll talk about it on the radio when I find out. Uh, where you can get it. That's a great question. Where can you get a polio vaccine? Yeah, yeah, very good. We listen to your show every week and look forward to it, and you are such a wealth of information. Thank you so much. Well, hey, thank you. Everybody's being really nice to me and today. I, you know, don't yeah. let it go to your head. Well, no, listen, all listen. All I can say about this show yeah. is that, what is it, three years or four years we've been doing this? Three years. Yeah. Is it has been uh, Dave... Um, a privilege and a great thing in my life to work with Dave Alexander because, um, you know, just the whole idea that we work together and have a good time and we're able to reach people like our callers today. And uh, the feedback has just been very heartwarming. I don't know about you, but I love it. It's fun. It's what radio should be fun this is heart health radio and the heart health radio network heart health radio and the heart health radio network dr franklin weefold right here absolutely and i hung up on a listener i'm so sorry oh no call back tanya and clayton call us back call back so are we shaming anybody? Yeah, talking? yeah. I'm what? not going to name this doctor, but I because I, he really is a good doctor. Yeah, uh, he's at Mass General in Harvard. 
Medical School. And there's the August 9th issue of the Journal of the American College Cardiology, one of these articles that says, we're all going to die. And what, what this is saying is that between the years 2025 and 2060, we're going to have people dropping dead right and left of heart attacks because we're going to get older. We're all going to have type 2 diabetes and yeah. hypertension and hypercholesterolemia. Yeah. And this is, I think, the reason why it's shameful. It's the same concept of what they said in the 60s about how we can't have kids because we're not going to have enough food. And so China said one-child policy. They threw little girls in the wells because only boys were wanted. Hmm. And what did it turn out? Advances in technology made our food supplies so great that now China is saying, well, wait a minute, we don't have enough people. you got to have three kids instead of one. And so... Why am I saying this? Um, I see right and left new medications that are revolutionary. Now, we can't get them because they're too expensive. But you look at medicines like Farsegia and Jardiots, which not only are tremendous for diabetes, but for heart failure, too. And they lower the risk of coronary disease. Um, We're going to get educated uh, physicians now to start prescribing these more. Um, The other thing is like Trulicity. And Mongero, these are medications that uh, they're called um, incretins, and they improve your gut flow, and they improve your ability to handle sugar. And so they're tremendous for diabetes, and they also lower the risk of heart disease. And, you know, our blood pressure medications, they're fantastic. Now, obesity. We're going to, I mean, Mongero, this new medication that is an incretin, and it works in the gut, and it works for your um, uh, metabolic syndrome. It corrects that. People are losing 40, 50 pounds, right and left. And so, and then the the consciousness in society now Mm -hmm. that sugar and white flour are the enemy, um, I think we're going to be okay. And uh, let's let's get back together in 2050, you and I. Yeah. That's only 30 years from now. Oh, yeah. I'll be 93. I'll be around. Yeah. Um, And see just how it is. I mean, technology is there for a reason. It beats the problems that we're going to have. Do you remember in the 80s? How old were you in 1981? 81, I was graduating from high school. High school. I I was just graduating from college. And, I mean, you can remember what we thought back then about the economy. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Cata, oh, gosh. we had 17% inflation. The worst thing was our productivity was down. Right. What happened in the 80s? Things well, improved. Right, how? Things got better. Technology. Right. So what happened? Computers. Yeah. So you had, first, the tax cuts, which had uh, the effect of all this investment money coming instead of going to the government and being wasted. And then we had Microsoft and Apple, and we had artificial intelligence developed. We had Oracle, and that improved productivity. I mean, look, technology will beat this. We're not all going to drop dead of heart attack. Okay? I'm counting on not, so there you go. Look at you. Tanya and Clayton. Hey, you called back, Tanya. Hey, Tanya. Hey. Sorry I hung up on you. That's okay. No problem. What's up? Um, well, I have a kind of a two-part question, and it okay. has to do with immunity from vaccines. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. The gal who called in earlier about polio got me thinking yeah. about this. Mm-hmm. Um, I, my daughter, um, when she was in nursing school, she switched majors and became uh, got her degree in emergency medical care because that was her real passion. But um, she originally entered into nursing school 
she had to undergo some testing to find out whether or not she still had immunity from right. the fact Right. I did that too. Yeah. Um, I never have, but I think I would like to. Yeah. Interesting um, to know, isn't it? Yes. And there were very few of them that were still giving her any immunity. So she had to get revaccinated with a number of different vaccines. Wow. So she her immunity. immunity had run out. Yes. That is so weird. It's gotten me thinking yeah. about polio. Yeah. Now, I am a woman of a certain age. Okay. Um, <laughs> you sound like you you're about I, 35. Yeah, she, oh, I would say 36. I love you. You're, I love you both. You're my best friend. <laughs> no, Dr. Weefald, I think you and I are about the same age. You graduated from college in 81. Yeah. Yeah. I, I should have if, if it would have taken me just four years, but it took me four and a half. So oh. I was an 82 graduate. But oh, okay. Well, you know, we're young. 60 is the new uh, 40. It's, 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 oh, that's good to know. Okay. Well, my question is, especially about polio, um, I'm a big believer in vaccines. And yeah. especially with, good for you. with things like polio, smallpox, things like that, there's hardly a worse way to die. And so... Um, I, I'm wondering, should I get revaccinated? Well, here's what I would should do I first. Have... Go, get your, go get your antibodies tested. You can get that done at your primary care's office. What okay. you can do is, just like your daughter did, go get to see if you still have the measles antibodies, if you have, you know, the mumps and all that stuff. And if you're missing them, then, you know, like your daughter did, then definitely get, um, get revaccinated. Uh, I'm thinking about uh, checking myself out for polio. Well, is it likely that if I got vaccinated decades ago, do I? Is it likely that I still have any immunity? Oh yeah, I still point? I got tested. Okay, and I have tremendous immunity against all the things that I was vaccinated against. Okay. Uh, this is when I, I I was going to a new hospital, and I couldn't find my vaccine records. Yes. Yeah, I don't. Do you know where your vaccine records are? I don't. Yeah. So I went and had the testing. And they, because they want to make sure that you are not going to spread, you know, smallpox to, to, you know, everybody in the hospital. And I was amazed. My numbers were great. But I'm really shocked about your daughter's numbers. And, you know, I wonder, honestly, whether that was a lab error. One of the things that I want to tell people out there, if you get a crazy lab value, the first thing you do is get it repeated at a different place. Because it's just like everything else. I mean, your lab can be wrong. I mean, they, you know, they don't tell you when they drop it on the floor and uh. decide to pick up somebody else's because <laughs> the guy doesn't want. Now, I'm not saying this happens very much, but you know, um, I, I had a patient who came to see me and their potassium was 6.8, and this guy wanted to dialyze him and you know put him on a machine and spin his blood around, and I said, well, you know. How much trouble did they have drawing your blood? Oh, my God. She stuck me six times. Well, I mean, you can ruin your blood cells by having, you know, a poor stick. And the potassium will pour out of your red blood cells and give an artificial reading. I checked it again, and it was 4.1. So, again, I'm not saying, again, I'm not saying your daughter's numbers were wrong. But one of the things that can happen is a false um, negative because of a lab error. So, you know, if you're wondering about that stuff, go get yourself tested. It's not very expensive. And I think your insurance will probably pay. You're not Medicare yet, so um, neither am I yet, though. Uh, um, and then you can see if you really need it or not. Um, but 
I I got vaccines you're not supposed to get, you know. What? Well, not not that you're not supposed to, but I got the meningitis vaccine okay. because I wanted it because I'm around college kids. Right. And um, I wanted to get the Gardasil, but they wouldn't give it to me. That's one they just wouldn't give to me. Which is what? HPV. Oh, Human yeah, papilloma. Yeah. And the reason is that's the number one cause of throat cancer right. in men. So, you know, um, yeah, talk to your uh, GP. We call them GPs. We don't call them family docs anymore. We're general <laughs> yeah. practitioners here. And see if I you can get to, tested. Okay. That'd I be great. travel pretty extensively um, to third world countries as a missionary. And um, I was vaccinated against typhoid. Oh, gosh, you name it. I was right. vaccinated. Yeah. This was back in the mid-'80s. Um, any part these, it seemed like every time we had an outreach to any third-world place, it was, um, I, I got a gamma, gamma globulin um, shot full of all kinds of diseases that we don't typically encounter here. Yeah. And um, is there any... Is there any likelihood that I still have immunity to those kinds of things, or does that wane? I think you should, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think you All should. All right. But well, it's uh, interesting to you, see. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, good to talk to somebody my age. It makes oh, me yeah. feel <laughs> makes me feel young. Makes We're still feel, out there. I I went to buy a beer the other day and I got carded. Good for you. Well, and then she said, she's going to card every. She cards everybody. I said, well, how old do you think I am? 45. I thought I loved it. All right. This is Heart Health Radio. Welcome to Heart Health with board-certified cardiologist and internal medicine specialist, Dr. Franklin Weefall. Call us with your health questions at 919-860-9783. Dr. Weefold, you want to... Send a message out to Tanya. Yeah, I, Tanya, I just looked it up. Um, there is no harm in getting a, a booster at any stage in your life, even yes. if you've had the uh, appropriate number of polio boosters. So, And they will give it to you. It's called the IPV, or the inactivated polio vaccine. Mm-hmm. And you can go, I uh, just looked it up, Walmart, um, CVS, uh, the vaccinated the places that give the vaccines, um, those CVSs and Walgreens that do have this um, vaccine, you can go get it. You don't even need a prescription. Yeah. So, you know, if you're worried about it, just get it. Uh, don't You don't even have to get your uh, antibody levels. Great idea. Because they're not dangerous to get another uh, booster in this situation. Very cool. All right. About half of the eligible people have gotten boosters for COVID. Yeah. Half of the... Now, you got your booster. I got a booster. Yeah, I didn't get the fourth one. You didn't get that? That's Did it. you get the fourth one? same thing with me. Yeah. I, I think it would I read to some do... stuff, yeah, about the fourth one, how it really didn't help. Right. And then there was some... And these were from bona fide scientists who right. felt that the evidence showed that if you had the fourth booster, you're actually more susceptible to getting COVID but less susceptible and by a fraction of a millionth of getting sick. So, right. in other words, more susceptible to get COVID to begin with, but less susceptible to get sick from it. Right. So, I said, you know, it's a personal choice. Right. And I decided not to do it. Now, I don't know if I'm going to get in trouble with the medical board for not getting a fourth booster. I, but I can't imagine that. Yeah. I am actually waiting 
um, for the availability of another vaccine. Yes, that is um, called Novavax, and we've we've talked about it before. It is mm-hmm. not an mRNA vaccine. It is a protein mm-hmm. that was constructed in Gaithersburg, Maryland, where I grew up, mm-hmm. uh, and it's the company that produced it, and it apparently has really good success rates. And I'm waiting to see if they approve that as a booster because I'm in a I'm a big believer in attacking a problem from two different ways right to get what's called synergy now what is synergy synergy means you get a a benefit right that is even higher than the additive benefit from both you know attacks so suppose the mrna gives you a five out of a four out of five benefit mm-hmm. and the novavax gives you a 4.5 out of five benefit yes. well you wind up getting a seven or ten out of five benefit Okay. And that's just, you know, an example. It's not the truth. Don't don't quote that. Yeah. But I'm hoping that it shows that there is an extra added benefit from getting a different type of vaccine. And I like the concept of Novavax. Uh, and it's and the data on it are fantastic in terms of prevention of both getting it and uh, death. But and the other thing is, and in pretty soon they're going to have the mRNA variant against Omicron out on the market. So, you know, that's another reason why I'm holding off. I might wind up getting that. Now, I am not advocating that you hold off on your fourth booster. If your GP or anybody has recommended you get the fourth booster, then do it. Yeah. Um, Don't. This is not a proselytizing thing. I'm just telling everybody what my personal choice was. Right. Okay. Right. So, I... Got my CPAP machine after oh, Lordy. a long wait. And it's an amazing... No, listen, I had, I had a working CPAP machine. Right, but you wanted a new one. I wanted a new one. Like a new car. Sure, and it's yeah. amazing. It's got a touch screen, you know, if my vision Yeah, and better, you know what? I'd, I'd much impressed. rather have dials and push buttons. Yeah, the, but... It does have one on-off button, which is great. Oh, good. It's you not know, like you have to... Yeah. Yeah. Here's the thing. It is so advanced that I'm supposed to download software oh, to my no. phone and it is going to theoretically transmit my data not only to my doctor but also to the company that distributed yeah. the machine. Yeah. I used to have to document it six every 6 months. Yes. That the patient has been utilizing his CPAP yes. at least seven hours per night, seven days per week, and has shown an X, you know, percentage of success. Blah blah blah. I haven't had to do that in a while. Well, let me but, just tell you, I have refused oh, really? to set it up really? with the automatic feature. Yeah. Let them come. But it still works. It works yeah. fine, but I am not interested in having mm. some company. Yeah. No, yeah. in perpetuity, forever. Right. That when you're using go to it sleep, or not using it, yeah. Oh, when I go to sleep, yeah, I they don't can want break to... into your house. I guess. I, yeah. I, no, I, I have yeah. no earthly idea why I want to keep that information from those people. It's yeah. not like they're evil. Do not hook it up to your Google Echo. Right. This is the hey thing. Alexa, turn off days CPAP. That's exactly right. <laughs> All right. Phil and Raleigh, welcome. How are you? Yes, good afternoon, gentlemen. Afternoon. Um, What's going on? 
the, the young lady that called in about the uh, her previous vaccinations um, yeah. required for travel, uh-huh. um, I, I think there may have been a misunderstanding because the Gamma Goblin is only good for six months, per the U.S. Army. Um, I used to be a Department of Army civilian and do extended temporary duties around the world. Uh-huh. And the Gamma go- Goblin is good for six months. And I know that because every time I deployed, I was six months in a day and had to go get that big shot in the rear end. Yeah. Um, again, until they finally developed the, uh, I think it was either a two or three series permanent hepatitis C vaccine. Mm-hmm. But the, the Gamma Goblin is only good for six months, is, was my understanding uh, from, from the Army. Um, and and they have a system for fixing uh, lost lost uh, shot records. The so Army does. Start over. Oh, yeah. sure. They... Now, let, let me just make a, a little bit of a correction there. What you got was hepatitis A. They do not have a hepatitis C vaccine yet. They have hepatitis C treatment. But I think what, and again, I wasn't there, but the three-pronged thing was for hepatitis A. Now, hepatitis B vaccine is two shots about, I can't remember, three to six months apart. Mm -hmm. And that's really good. But the hepatitis A does not last forever. And I think you're right. Oh, so A is not forever. It's not forever. Right. That's what he said. The B series? B is forever if you get two. Yeah. Okay, yeah. but for sure the Gamma Goblin is not forever. It's right. six right. months, according to the Right. Army. And, Phil, I want you to know that Tanya and Clayton is happy that you called her the young lady. Yes. Are you a young man? Are you less than 70? Yes, sir. Yeah. All right. Take Thank care, you. Phil. Thank you. In fact, 70 is young. 70 is the new 50. Yes. 80 is the new 60. Not in my family. I'm... I'm broken down, but yeah. everybody else, for everybody else, it's, it's wonderful. <laughs> All right, so they came out with another list of top hospitals. Yeah, this is great news. Duke is number one in North Carolina. Numero uno. Everybody give a cheer for the Duke University Medical Center. My cardiovascular alma mater. Wake Med is number 10. It's in the top 10, well, right here good. in... Our city, and you may think, well, wait a minute, but there are hundreds of hospitals in yeah, North Carolina. That's right. And uh, in rehabilitation, it was ranked as one of the top in the country. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that's great. And I know their cardiology program is fantastic. Um, uh, Duke was pretty high up in the U.S. of A. as well, in the top right. 20. Right. Uh, and that's hard to do. I mean, that's hard to get up there because right. you have so many hospitals now. Um, that are, um, how do I put this, uh, gearing toward these rankings. Uh, they know what the rankings are, and so right. they sort of um, cue things in. I don't think that we need to um, be hanging on these. But interestingly, the number one hospital in the country is the Mayo Clinic, which I found interesting. Yeah. The two that you know we as physicians always think of as, as the top of the line would be the Massachusetts General Hospital. Yes. Mass General, yes, uh, and the Brigham, and they were down on the list. Now, does I do I think that means that they're a bad place? No, I just find it interesting that 
hospitals are now you know moving around in these rankings. But now my my alma mater for medical school and internal medicine, Johns Hopkins, has been the top before, and it's now number five. So when you read these things, I think anybody in the top fifty, you've got a great hospital, sure, in the country, and certainly anybody in the top ten to fifteen. In North Carolina, you've got a great hospital. So, uh, you know, don't hang on these rankings to say, well, I'm going to go to number one versus number two. I yeah, mean, number that's... one's better than number two. Uh, I don't know if you know, in the college rankings, they kicked Columbia out. Really? Yeah, Columbia made it all the way to number two in the country on the U.S. News and World Report. And then there was a whistleblower who said they were cheating somehow. And re- see, I think these are self-reported all right. things. So they got booted. Um, I don't know if they're back now um, with hat in hand, but um, you know, so you know, these rankings are good in the sense that you can get a pat on the back and know that your hospitals in in you know doing things right. But number five versus number one, number ten versus number one, I I would not um, say that that's a huge difference at all. Don't you really have to kind of go where your specialty is? When I say yeah, that, I mean I know as what a you patient. Mean. Yeah, yeah. Cardiology, for example, I think you know there are better cardiology programs than others. Right. But I tell you, in this area, yeah. I think they're all great. Oh, you know? good. Okay. Um, I'm you know uh, loyal to Weight Med because I practiced there for so long, and right. I think it's a great place. I'm loyal to Duke because I they. You know, they put me on the right path. Uh But I also know that my patients get excellent care at both of those institutions. So, you know, just, just, you know, go with your gut, who your doctor, uh, who, you know, find a doctor you trust uh, that's going to not have a vested interest in where you go and, and get well. In the hospital, when you're getting, there's an issue that I kind of knew this. That when you're getting an operation, you have an anesthesiologist, but that anesthesiologist might yeah. be double dipping. Right. Let me tell you what's going on now. So an anesthesiologist uh, has some excellent help, and they're called nurse anesthetists. Yes. And so the nurse anesthetists are so good that what happens a lot of times is that you have four operating rooms going on, four ORs. And the anesthesiologist is bopping from room to room, mm. checking up on how the nurse practitioner, I mean, the nurse anesthetist is doing. Right. And that, you know, is okay. But apparently, they just did some studies. And when he's, he or she, anesthesiologist, is doing eight cases at one time, supervising eight, uh, the outcomes aren't as good. So, um, and I can understand why. And I don't want to say that it's always not good because there may be some supermen or superwomen anesthesiologists. Right. And they may have, you know, super duper uh, pooper scooper um, uh, <laughs> Ability. you know, abilities. And, and their nurse anesthetists may be super duper pooper scoopers. But it, it seems they have a, a lower uh, good outcome risk and a rate. So you might want to ask your anesthesiologist, how many cases are you going to do while you're doing mine? Right, right. Because uh, the fewer, the better. Wow. It seems to be. That's that's scary to me. Well, you know, there are cardiac surgeons who do four surgeries at one time. You know how they do it? Uh, Yeah, they got the Yeah, so they start them at a stagger thing, and they have their assistants open the chest. Yeah. 
and put them on the heart-lung bypass, and then they'll come by and do the most difficult thing, which is sewing those <laughs> bypasses onto the arteries. And they'll just go from boom to boom to boom to boom. Yeah. So you might want to ask, I mean, are you going to do this surgery <laughs> or are you just going to sew the arteries on? And that might not be a bad thing. I mean, yeah. let me tell you, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the assistants uh, that I know of, say, for a Duke, and I'm not saying Duke does this. I think Duke's surgery is fantastic. Right. But the assistants there were fantastic, too. So, you know, right. you don't always have to worry about these things. <sighs> Students got to learn somehow. Yeah. Honestly, the young doctors have to learn somehow. Well, they I, do the simple let, let things. Me, let me say something yeah. that may be uh, not accepted by the general medical community. Yes. And that's some doctors are better than others. Okay, oh, I'm no. just going to tell you that. No. That, yeah. And and one of the problems that we have, for example, in, in, in uh, insurance companies, they require you to have a GP. Yes. And they require sure. you to go to a certain cardiologist and they require you to go to a certain bone doctor. And yes. you know what? They well, may not be the best. Uh, and the problem with some of these insurance companies is that they will have what's uh, what's what sort of a club, you know, of the doctors that they have. It's called their network. Yes. And I'm in network for everybody except Cigna. Hmm. They won't let me in. Okay, well. They won't. And that's because I had this uh, brief licensing issue when I wrote my wife a prescription eight years ago. And um, the bottom line is, if your doctor's not in network, you really, you're going to pay more or you're not going to be able to see them. Yes. You know. And it becomes, I think, a problem for a lot of patients. Now, luckily, I'm in network for everybody except for signet patients. And, right. Um, you know, it, it, it can become an issue over time about who you want to see and whether you can see that doctor. Okay. We're going to talk about salt substitutes. Yeah, they're in good. In just a moment. In most cases, except for one. Really? Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. I'll, I'm going to double check my salt substitute with you yeah. to see whether it's good. Yeah. That's coming up on Heart Health Radio. Also, your phone calls, 919-860-9783. Heart Health Radio is also on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, and you can go to hearthealthradio.com. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a new website for my practice, which has a lot of stuff. Really? MilleniaCardiovascular.com, too. Oh, yeah. And it's. Uh, check it out now. Well, yeah. And we're building it. We're going to have a lot of educational material, educational materials on there. For your listening or <laughs> reading pleasure, I wonder if I could get a link to the other, um, the get, other. Get website. a link to anything you want. Link it up. Yeah, um, salt substitutes. Yeah, they're good. I take something called no salt, yeah. which uh, not take it, but I sprinkle it on stuff. Hmm. And I Let's read the it. ingredients, and it's pepper. It's mostly peppers. Yeah, yeah. There's Mrs. Dash, which is a bunch of little things. Yeah. And, those aren't really what we would call salt substitutes. Those okay. the, the true salt substitute is potassium chloride. So light salt. Um, read the ingredients. Um, it's and it tastes for most people exactly Zachary like salt. I can't stand it. It tastes terrible to me. Yeah. But um, 
there's one group of people who should not take it, and those are people with kidney failure or kidney problems, renal insufficiency. Yeah. Because the kidneys are what regulates potassium. And so if you have a weak kidney, you could potentially uh, get a really high potassium level if you use that instead of normal salt, which is sodium chloride. Hmm. One thing is that sea salt is salt. I had somebody who decided that they could use sea salt because it wasn't salt. It was a natural salt. Well, all salt is natural. Okay. (laughs) I mean, they get it from the same places, which is salt mines and stuff like that. Um, Potassium chloride in no salt is very good for you. Okay. Okay. So it actually even will lower your blood pressure if you're a hypertensive a little bit. So, but if you, you got to make sure that your kidney function is good before you go with that. Now, Morton's right. has a light salt, and that's potassium chloride. Okay. Just read your ingredients. Mrs. Dash, for some people, I don't know who she was, but I guess it's because you dash it on there, <laughs> a little dash of Mrs. Dash. Yes. Um, it, it provides a flavoring, but it doesn't provide uh, potassium and potassium chloride. Okay. All right. Yeah. There is no correlation between opioid prescriptions and drug-related deaths. Right. We've talked about your issue with yeah, this. Yeah, and, and so what happened? Um, the uh, press, the media, um, wanted to blame someone for the people who were dropping dead of overdoses. Right. And so they blamed the doctors, right, because we were uh, writing, we were pill pushers writing these things. Mm. And it was... Uh, the consequence of this was that the medical boards and the drug enforcement agency and the FDA came up with these concepts that we were the problem. And so, you know, we had to cut back because we were getting investigated. I was investigated twice, one by the drug enforcement agency. They came into my office with guns. Mm. I'm serious. Yeah. Now, the lucky thing, I had a patient whose back was broken in four places. He'd had a heart attack. And I wanted to control his pain so the stress levels would not cause him to have another heart attack. Well, he happened to be in the office that day. And I guess they expected me to be some fly-by-nighter who was just writing fentanyl prescriptions for 20 bucks. He was in the office. I showed him my 10-page note, and um, I showed him how I regulated it. And I checked his levels, et cetera, et cetera. And they said, wow, you're not one of these people. You're Uh, fine. Good. And so, you know, the bottom line was that what happened is all these chronic patients like this man who needed the opioids um, yes. because they were the only things that controlled pain um, were told that, oh, I am un, uh, under the rules and regulations now of the uh, DEA, the Drug Enforcement Agency. I have to cut you back to half of what you're taking because of something called morphine equivalence. And you had to calculate the equivalent of the amount of oxycodone the patient was getting in terms of morphine. Okay. And, I mean, patients were just going going insane because they could not have pain relief anymore. Right. And a lot of them turned to the street, and they started buying uh, fentanyl, thinking mm-hmm. it was Percocet, and dropping dead of overdoses. Right. Which was terrible. Right. And so um, now they have looked. And the number of opioid prescriptions has gone way down. The number that we write has just plummeted. Right. And the number of overdoses has skyrocketed. Right. And a lot of people who are no longer able to get narcotics from their physicians 
who are afraid of getting investigated like I did. It cost me $35,000 when the medical board investigated me on the basis of a complaint. And I never knew who the complainer was. And I had to turn in 50 charts, and I had to get a lawyer. And I, I just out of the... I mean, two weeks after I turned in the stuff, they called my lawyer and said, you're fine, uh, no problem. And so, you know, the medical board has to react to these complaints, but, you know, the bottom line is we're doing the right thing on 99%. And you can tell mm-hmm. who the pill pushers are. Mm-hmm. They're they're giving, um, you know, hundreds of prescriptions a day or a week. Right. And they're going to one particular pharmacy where they have a deal. And these are usually mom and pop pharmacies. Right. So, you know, shut them down, uh, but don't make it a blanket statement that we're drug pushers because we're not. We're trying to help people. Now, do I have people that I have to fire from the practice because they're not following guidelines? Sure. Um, they wind up with a little cocaine, a little methamphetamine in their drug screen, and they're gone. These are not employees. When you say fire, you oh, yeah, eliminate I am them from the yeah, practice. We, we call, I, I'm so glad you made that point. Yeah. Uh, my employees are great. Uh, when you have to dismiss them from the practice. And, you know, there's certain rules and regulations. You have 30 days to find a new doctor. Yeah. You will write their prescriptions until that's over with. And, you know, you have to taper people. You can't just suddenly. And this right. is another problem right. that was happening is that the uh, physicians were saying, I don't want to get in trouble with my medical board. I'm going to quit. I'm, you can't get any more. Right. And they went into withdrawal, and, and they had a, uh, patients like this were in very serious problems. But I've had to dismiss some patients. Um, you know, you call them in for their uh, uh, emergency, not emergency, out of the blue pill count yes. to see if their pill counts are yes. correct. And a lot of times they, they'd either taken them all or yeah. had sold them, and they couldn't do a pill count. Right. Um, so we are very regulated. And if you do it right, it's safe. I had zero in 35 years of practice. Zero overdose. Zero. Good. Well, we'll see you next week. This is Heart Health Radio.